Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Chitheads podcast. My guest today is Swami Swatmananda. Swami Swatmananda is an acharya of the Chinmaya Mission in South Mumbai. He completed a three-year Vedanta course of studies in 2000 and has been serving in the Chinmaya Mission of Mumbai since that time. He teaches the philosophy of Advaita Vedanta through talks on the Bhagavad Gita, Upanishads, and other texts of the Vedanta and Bhakti traditions at camps, meditation retreats, interactive sessions, and workshops. He is also a playwright, having written two plays, Adrishya, Quest for the Unseen, which is based on the history of the Saraswati civilization in India, and Just Like That, a play based on the Bhagavad Gita, in which a family discovers harmony by applying the principles of the Gita to their lives. Due to the clarity of his teachings, vision, peaceful nature, and balanced approach to the Indian philosophical teachings, he is respected and admired by all who study with him. So hello, Swamiji, how are you? Hello, Jacob. I'm very well. Thank you for having me on this podcast. It's wonderful to interact with you and share this knowledge with all of your listeners. Yeah, I've had such a pleasure listening to a lot of um, the recordings on your podcast, which people can find. We'll talk a little bit about how they can find those teachings later. Um, But before we start our conversation today, I wanted to see if you'd like to uh, start us off with an invocation. Yes, so we will do a universal invocation. Om Sahana Vavatu Sahana Bhunaktu Sahaviryam Karavavahai Tejasvinavadhitamastumavidvishavahai e. Om Shanti 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 Thank you, Swamiji. So this is a Vedic invocation from the Yajur Veda. Can you talk a little bit about the, the translation, the meaning? Yeah. So it means Sahanavavatu. May the Supreme protect us. Sahanav Bhunaktu. May he take care of us, nurture and nourish us. Sahaviryam Karavavahai. May we put our efforts together to evolve, to gain this knowledge. Tejasvinavadhi Tamastu. May our knowledge be bright and brilliant that we can apply it in our life when needed and it transforms our life and helps us to be happy and makes others happy. And Ma Vidvishavahai. May we not have misunderstandings with each other. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. May there be peace from cosmic forces, from the beings around and from within us. Mm, Beautiful. So uh, anybody who knows even a little bit about Hinduism and the Sanatana Dharma knows that in you know, any kind of formal satsang setting in and at the beginning of texts, invocations are are often present. So what is the significance of of invocation and why do we do it at the beginning of any endeavor? So we believe that we are only instruments of the divine, no matter what work we are engaged in. An invocation is to invoke that divinity from within us so that our ego can be put aside and the supreme divinity manifests through us. Mm. And so our decisions then become more objective. We become more focused. Our mind becomes more peaceful. There is more harmony in relationships. So invocation is meant for that. Mm. It's a bit like clearing out the passageways so that you can serve as a channel in whatever you're doing. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. 
So, you know, we actually were originally planning on having this conversation a couple or last week now, uh, maybe a little bit over a week ago. And it was just before the festival of Diwali. Um, and, uh, and we were planning on talking about that so people could kind of enter into the festival having a bit of a background knowledge. And even though the, the, the festival is now passed, I wanted to just spend a little bit of time still talking about that since it is such a, a significant festival in India and for Hindus around the world. Um, so can you talk a little bit about D Diwali and, and what the importance of it is? So the festival is actually called Deepavali. It has become short form into Diwali. Deepa means a lamp. Avali means a row of lamps. Mm. So we celebrate Deepavali for many reasons put together. Uh, we light lamps mainly for one reason is that Shri Ram returns after killing Ravan from Lanka. He returns to Ayodhya and symbolically uh, he has fulfilled his uh, father's promise given to his mother Kaikeyi. He's destroyed the evil forces. And so symbolically there is happiness returning to the uh, residents of Ayodhya. We also celebrate it. So all the residents, they light the lamp to, to welcome the Lord. We also celebrate it because uh, we light these lamps to pray to the Lord of Death, Yama, that uh, please grant us fearlessness and ensure that accidental death does not happen. And also that when on the 14th, we in, in the Hindu calendar, the lunar calendar, on the 13th day is when we light the lamp to pray to Lord Yama that uh, help us to avoid accidental death give us fearlessness from death. Then on the uh, 14th day, we worship Lord Yama and we light the sparkles mm. and we hold it up in hand. It is called Ulkadan, which today crackers. We hold the sparkles right up in the hands and we believe that the ancestors who have come down from their world onto ours to accept our Shraddha Karma, etc., they are returning. So to light their way, these lamps and these uh, uh, sparkles, they are held. And we seek their blessings that thank you for coming here. Keep blessing us. And please, uh, you, may you have a safe journey. So that is called Naraka Chaturdashi on the 14th day. And that is the day also when Krishna kills a demon called Narakasura, who had imprisoned 16,000 princes. And so we worship Lord Krishna also on that day, symbolizing that our ego is the Narakasura, and ego has trapped these thought possibilities, 16,000 thought possibilities. May that ego be destroyed so that our infinite potential manifests. Hmm. Then the actual Deepavali day is the 15th day, when we worship Mother Lakshmi. And we, it is actually celebrated by many businessmen, business community celebrated it earlier as their new year. So the accounts, uh, you know, the financial year ends and the new accounts books, etc. are worshipped and one prays to Mother Lakshmi to bless one with wealth, prosperity and uh, abundance. So these are three days and then the next day is called the new year. The first day again begins after 15, the next day begins as the first in the lunar calendar. So that is called as the new year. 
on that day one worships uh, lord krishna because he held the govardhan mountain on his small finger mm-hmm. and he granted protection to all the villagers so one worships lord krishna the govardhan mountain one has an elaborate feast uh, arranged for the lord uh, and also one worships uh, lord bali who surrendered himself to vaman bhagwan and uh, vaman bhagwan blessed him that he made him the king of a lower world called sutalalok and he also became his watchman because bali raja was very uh, uncompromising in the promise that he gave that i will give you land occupied by three steps and in the vaman avatar lord came as a dwarf and then he grew with one step he covered the earth with one step he covered the higher regions so he said where do i put the third step so bali raja said you can place it on my head so that is a symbol of a individual completely surrendering to the divine and realizing oneness with the divine so that day one worships uh, king bali and also one does charity on that day mm. and the last day is when one celebrates the bond between the brother and the sister so it is called bhai dooj where both brother and sister pray to lord yama for the safety and security of each other so the brother visits the home of the sister both of them pray there and then the sister feeds the brother so these are actually five days and the diwali has many of these uh, beautiful significances associated with it it's beautiful and it's really um it's quite complex and over the course of many days which i think for you yeah. know for people who are unfamiliar with um indian culture in that way who are listening you know by contrast to the united states i mean we're lucky if we get one day for a holiday but you have mm-hmm. <laughs> several <laughs> and then there's you know the the navaratri and and um yeah. the durga puja as well that are exactly. several days long um so can you talk a little bit about you know the significance of these festivals to the life of a sadhaka the life of a yogi the life of a a spiritual practitioner and why they help to kind of ground um the the path so uh, one aspect is that in and through our daily life about our work relationships etc these festivals are a very strong way of reinforcing the spiritual ideals mm-hmm. they are to take time off and commit oneself to a certain tapasya a certain form of austerity certain form of uh, sadhana because most of the festival certain things will be common that one should be fasting one should be praying one should get up early in the morning one should remember the supreme lord or one should do some charity one should do some sharing mm-hmm. these help the emotions to anchor in the divine this help the heart to expand and also there are some of them where we do meditations on specific forms so through the year different festivals when they are there uh the sadhak gets to understand the qualities of different forms of the divine and then the sadhak can choose one saying ki this form appeals to me the most mm. while one does celebrate various other festivals even after choosing but one gets committed to one form and that form is what we call as the ishta devata or my i call it as mpg you know m is very easy as to remember mpeg <laughs> file formats are available 
So MPG means my personal God. Yeah. So this form I love the most. Now the sadhak has built a bond. So in every festival, even if the sadhak is worshipping some other deity, one sees that my Ishtadevata is in this form. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it helps to uh, go deep in one sadhana. And also it helps one to exclusively take time off. Though we do a lot of socializing or bonding and many other activities happen with the festivals, even economy-wise, many people, their livelihood, etc. is sustained by these festivals. Right now in these COVID times, there's so many uh, people, their economy, you know, their livelihoods were rejuvenated because of the Deepavali festival. Otherwise, a lot of things are down and uh, people are uh, finding it really difficult to survive. Yeah. But when these festivals come about, it brings about that aspect also. And also, as a culture, it is a very important aspect that each of these festivals, they help us to understand that there is something greater in life than just the body and the enjoyments and you know our finite pursuits. That each of us are divine, each of us are immortal. That connection comes when one understands the festivals. So these festivals, they connect us to the divinity within. They connect us to the people around us, the beings around us. Because we worship the various other creatures also. And they also help us to connect to the cosmic forces. Because many of these festivals you will see are according to certain planetary positions. And those planetary positions have a different impact on our body, on our mind. So the festivals connect us to the entire universe in that way. Mm. And that's why they are very significant. Do you feel like they... Along with entertainment. Yes. Do you feel like they serve a similar function to... Because, you know, here in the United States, for example, we don't unfortunately have, you know, spiritual festivals in the same way. And so for me, I find that my access to what you're describing comes in a meditation retreat that I do three times a year. So do you think, would you say, in the way you're describing it, it seems like there's something somewhat analogous in terms of, of the purpose of, of these things. Fest, festival seems to be a little bit more joyous, uh, whereas, uh, you know, the retreat is a bit more ascetic. But there's, um, you know, a similar kind of purpose that's, that's being offered there to take you out of the kind of you know, finiteness of your everyday capitalist sort of existence. Yeah, definitely. So it does take out and because it is uh, a lot of uh, joy and celebration associated, what happens is it is able to reach out to all different age groups, right from children onwards to adults to everybody. So I don't have to be a specifically a seeker alone to celebrate the festival. Through the festival celebration, I become a seeker. Mm. The seeker in me starts getting invoked. Oh. Yeah. That's beautiful. Okay, so um, you were talking a little bit about Ishta Devata, and I want to talk about this a little bit more because I think this is such a um, a fruitful concept for, for those who were raised perhaps in traditions where you didn't have a choice. You know, you just, this is what you worship. This is the form 
and there is only one form, right? Um, and I'm from my own personal experience that was, you know, being raised in a Christian household where, you know, you had Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, but there were no other forms for you to to be heart attracted to. And it really didn't matter because, you know, that just wasn't built in. But in 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 the Sanata de Dharma there, as you're describing, there is this almost freedom to pursue that which calls your heart. So if someone was to be interested in finding their Ishta Deva and, and moving along that path of, of discovering the deity form that calls their heart the most, what would your recommendations be for, um, for pursuing that? So first is we have to understand our temperament that what is it that we want to inculcate? Because in our Sanatan Dharma, as you know, the idol represents an ideal. So we are not worshipping the idol alone. We are worshipping the ideal through the idol. And so, suppose I, I love peace, equanimity, quietude, you know, then maybe Shiva appeals to me more. If I love to do my duties, I'm action-oriented, I like, uh, you know, establishing good relationships, serving people, uh, you know, even sacrificing my own comfort to make others happy, then maybe Ram. Or if I feel that, you know, I want to be aggressive to overcome certain social causes, uh, so certain social limitations, or, you know, certain weaknesses, and I want to take up a fight and uh, become a crusader, then maybe Durga helps. Mm. Or if I love strength and I want, you know, strength at all levels, then Hanumanji helps. So it depends on what ideals I want to inculcate. The ideals are means for us. And by ideals, I don't mean they are not real forms. They are like we have a picture is of an actual person. So these are forms which exist, which is what our tradition says. And in fact, the freedom is so much in our culture that in the Gita, Sri Krishna even says that in whichever form you worship, I will bless you with that faith in that form more and more. So if we want to create a form also that is possible in our culture, where suppose somebody says, you know, I like Krishna, but I don't like his yellow dhoti and you know, his uh, peacock feather. I want him to wear some uh, blue jeans and, you know, yellow t-shirt and one uh, maybe Ray-Ban glasses or whatever. And that is Krishna for me. Then Krishna says, okay, I will give you darshan in that form. Mm -hmm. Because the form is a means for us to connect to the Lord who is inside us. Right now, I'm not able to understand my divinity, so I need an external form. So depending on what I really want, I choose a form. Sometimes it is that one has already done certain types of spiritual practices earlier and so one knows naturally, spontaneously that this form is the most dearest to me. Sometimes one has to explore. Yeah. And that's why we have in our culture this days which are dedicated. So on Monday you worship Shiva. On Tuesday you worship, let us say, Ganesha. Uh, Wednesday you worship Krishna. Thursday you worship Guru. Friday you worship uh, Devi. Saturday you worship Hanumanji or Shani, Sunday you worship Surya. So when one is doing this, one observes the mind, okay, which is the form which attracts me the most? Or as I said earlier, the festivals. So through these, one can come to identify that I love this form 
because what has happened in our culture also is there are many stories associated with each form there are many uh, special things associated with each form that this god loves this that form loves this so shiva likes bilva fruit shiva likes abhishek or uh, vishnu likes you know alankar and garland and all that uh, devi likes red color and sindur so then one understands all those things and for that person that deity or that form is very real and hence one is able to connect well based on all these factors the ideals that one wants to uh, inculcate the type of personality that one is and ultimately what is that which brings me most happiness when i remember that lord i feel happy i feel strong i feel that the divine is with me why should i have any fear so these ideals when i start understanding then i can choose either through experimenting or i know because of earlier samskar or sometimes one goes to a master or a realized person and seeks guidance saying ki which form should i worship or sometimes one takes a mantra also keep can you please bless me with a mantra so there are many ways by which one chooses the form the if one does not uh, know very easily then the scriptures also say that one sincerely prays to the lord saying oh lord you please reveal to me which is the form that i should worship you in mm. and the lord would reveal that form also mm. so these are ways by which one can choose so what if someone was to say well i you know i i don't really feel attracted to personal forms and i i want to worship a flower or a tree or some kind of natural form um and i'm just asking because i know there are lots of people in in western culture who who are attracted to for example vedanta because of the formless absolute they love the idea of god as formless and it makes sense to them because it seems more in line with i don't know scientific understandings of reality right so what would you say to individuals who would prefer something other than a kind of deity a traditional deity form yes so our culture recognizes all types of temperaments of people so what we just described was what we call as sagun sakar god with form and qualities then there is sagun nirakar so the lord without a form but with qualities so we say we worship the creator through the sound of om so om traditionally doesn't have a form that form has come later om is just a sound symbol it is called nada brahma om iti ekaksharam brahma it is said in our gita so one just listens to the sound and one worships the divine through the sound and one understands that that is the primordial sound which is the source of the whole creation and it is symbolic of the ultimate consciousness and still further is as you explain nature worship so gayatri mantra is one of the most powerful and famous ones where one is worshiping the divine through the sun so there is no physical human form there but one is worshiping the divine through nature so any form one can take what one has to connect with is the idea of consciousness and infinity that for me this is the symbol of consciousness and infinity and highest is the absolute nameless 
formless, attributeless Brahman. Very few people are actually ready for that and able to contemplate on that. Though it may appeal to us, but it requires a high level of subtle intellect and a pure mind to steadily contemplate on the formless. Because our mind only thinks in terms of name and form. Suppose I say apple, immediately a picture of apple comes in the mind. Not to think of any form is not very easy. Even if we say emotion, we say love, then somebody whom we love comes in our mind or the picture of a heart will come in our mind or success. Then some achievement, some cup, some medal, some trophy, some picture comes. So what we actually need is to understand what is our temperament and then choose either a form or just the sound symbol or some symbol in nature or some pointers of the absolute. So people meditate on Sat, Chit, Anand, unborn, undying, unchanging, and they contemplate on it without form. So all types of uh, temperaments of people, this would cater to. So um, can you talk a little bit more about the, um, the role of sound and the importance and centrality of sound? You've already, you've mentioned it several times in the, in um, in speaking about mantra and of course the syllable om that that many people recognize, but many people who are familiar with um, Hinduism know that the mantras are are pervasive and are incredibly central to to understanding the tradition. So, what is the the kind of why is sound so central, basically? So, sound is very powerful means to make the mind quiet and single-pointed. Depending on what type of sound we use, the mind can either become quiet or it can become extrovert. So that's the power of sound. And the power of music also, all of us know that different types of music has different types of emotions that it would yeah. invoke. And hence, using that power of sound, the great rishis, uh, to them, these mantras are revealed. And when the mind contemplates on these sounds, that's why the mantra is called as a uh, potent spiritual sound formula. It has a lot of potential. And sometimes it is just an alphabet, like Om or Hreem. You know, these are called Bija mantras. Hreem, Kleem, Shreem. These are called Bija mantras. These are just one alphabet or maybe one and a half, two alphabets put together. That's it. But they invoke energy centers. When one chants the mantra loudly, then the speech also is purified. Energy centers are invoked in the body. A person would actually feel charged up when one finishes the chanting of the mantra. So mantras invoke energy. Mantras purify the speech. Mantras help the mind to become single-pointed because when the person is not, uh, when the person is chanting, one is not thinking anything else. Either there is a form in the mind and the sound, or there is just the sound and one is focusing only on the sound. There is no other thought. If the mind dis gets distracted, one again brings it back to the mantra. So it becomes a very powerful means to just focus on the sound. So it becomes an aid to concentration. And these mantras also have deep meanings. So intellectually, one can start contemplating, like the Gayatri Mantra, as one chants it, 
and one reflects more and more deeply uh, shri adi shankaracharya ji said that the main purpose of the gayatri mantra is to understand that essentially the individual is one with the supreme jiva brahma ikya is what we call it that is the main purpose of the gayatri mantra so so we are not worshiping sun as a ball of gas we are worshiping the supreme through the sun mm-hmm. because it is symbol of life it is symbol of energy it is symbol of dynamism and without it life wouldn't be possible so the mantra becomes a means to contemplate on these deeper truths and these deeper truths as we contemplate upon our thought processes change our whole life changes and ultimately spiritually it helps us to unite with the divine so mantra is a very sacred and a very powerful tool of sadhana in sanatan dharma and especially in this age in kali yuga the main sadhana it is is chanting of a mantra because many other sadhanas may be difficult to do but chanting of a mantra is easiest and so that is what is the main sadhana of this kali yuga yeah i mean i'm i'm always when i have conversations about this i'm always highlighting how um i mean there's something sort of obvious about you know you don't even have to hear the spiritual teachings to be able to recognize that there's something incredibly powerful about sound and vibration and yet you know in in my particular culture sound and vibration has become entertainment you know it's like oh you go to a music festival and yes you feel some emotions and it's fun but and it's right there in front of you the obviousness of how important and central this is but it's been kind of relegated to entertainment in our culture and and it, i think it's so you know beautiful what hinduism offers to the world in 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 highlighting this the kind of divinity of sound and and how important it is to to our personal practice and our and our path so i just want to understand one thing if you could just help me in that mm. uh, i have heard that uh, many cultures have mantras so i know that sikhism has ikonkar i know that uh, uh, buddhism also has om mani padme hum uh, jain has jainism has navkar mantra i was also told that in christianity jesus and uh 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 one more name the holy mother or mother mary one yeah. of them they do they use this as a mantra and they actually do japa they use a rosary and they say jesus and they use a jesus 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 as a mantra yes that's that is true particularly in catholicism i was raised as a as a as a lutheran protestant and we didn't we didn't okay. use that um and i know that there is within the Christ, within christian history there uh, you you can trace it back to find more of some of these esoteric practices that would sort of seem somewhat parallel to to hinduism and buddhism and and stuff like that but i think that in a lot of expressions of christianity today that is largely absent okay yeah okay yeah but i think but i i think you're right that that um that perhaps if we dug a little deeper it's it's just that you know as as history has progressed it seems like and this is just my personal opinion that many expressions of christianity have gotten more shallow and have lost a lot of their um okay. their esoteric practices their their connection to some of these more subtle um approaches okay. 
<laughs> so now Shiva, I want to talk a little. You, one of the uh, things I love, I I love that in your in your podcast, in the recordings of your teachings, um, one of the things you come back to is is the different names of Shiva, and I think it's. Um, yeah. One of the things that's so beautiful is how each of the deity forms, many of the deity forms have hundreds of possible names. <laughs> and um, and so I guess the first question is just why does Shiva have so many names? So it's just that the Lord is infinite and uh, infinite glories are there, infinite uh, expressions are there. And so for each of them, the devotee loves to see the Lord in a certain way. And so there is a certain name also given. It's just like all of us, you know, suppose like today, there's a, a, a parent loves a small child. Then the child, when the parent uh, loves the child, the child is sometimes dressed in a certain way. The parent clicks a picture, calls the child by a certain pet name, you know. So they love to call people whom they love through different names when they are expressing some different uh, qualities or different uh, talents, different potentials, and Lord being infinite, so that's why we have 100, 108 names or 1,000 names, so Sahasranam, uh, Vishnu Sahasranam, Shiva Sahasranam, like that we have for all the deities, 1,000 names will be there minimum, 108, 1,000, because each of them expresses a different aspect. And so it's like wearing different types of hats, you know, each person has different types of hats and then their personality, uh, a different side of personality is getting exposed. It is the same way. And that's why. And it also happens that amongst the devotees of Shiva then, not everybody may specifically identify with only one form. So somebody may like the form of Shiva as a child. Somebody may like the form of Shiva as a destroyer. Somebody may like the form of Shiva as a guru. You know, somebody may like the form of Shiva as a meditator. So the devotees also then specifically identify with one form and internalize that quality deeper and deeper and deeper. So that's why there are so many forms, so many names of the same divine. So let's talk about um, one of these names I thought was really interesting, and uh, this will be a juicy one. So one of them is Katoraha, I, I believe is the yeah. pronunciation. Uh, one who is cruel. So why yeah. why why is God cruel, and why would we want to relate to God as being cruel? Yes. So we have to understand that in a context. So God is cruel in the sense that we feel God is cruel. Like a doctor has to amputate somebody's leg because it has some cancerous growth in it. Let us say. Now that person would say, oh, the doctor is very cruel, you know, he's causing me pain, he's going to amputate my leg. But the doctor is doing it for one's good. Otherwise, the whole body will collapse. Same way, certain actions we may have done in the past, which have a certain negative consequence. And the Lord is the dispenser of all the fruits. We call the Lord as Karma Faladata. We can do actions, but the Lord is the one who sees the total picture and gives us the right result at the right time. So at certain times when we go through certain disappointing results and uh, you know challenging circumstances, we feel that you know God is cruel, God is not uh, fair, being fair to me. That is the feeling of the devotee. That is one meaning to understand. Second meaning to understand is for those who are actually straying away from the path of righteousness and those who are engaging in uh, unrighteous activities, hurting others, harming others, 
the evil forces the lord is cruel to them to destroy them and the destruction can happen in two ways either the lord will destroy the evil tendency in them or if that person does not uh, transform even after that and that person has to be destroyed in that manifestation the person may get killed also in that process or any other type of uh, harm also may come so from that standpoint it is un- to be understood that the lord is not always compassionate that you can do anything you can't take him for granted basically that is the meaning there but he is not cruel like uh, who would uh, torture people who would make people suffer for no reason he is compassionately cruel if at all we want to say <laughs> so okay so this is making me think about the pandemic for example right so we have this global pandemic happening hundreds of thousands of people well i i'm sure we're up to a mil- millions now across the world um it, would this be an instance where the you know the name of katoraha would be a useful reflection like how do we understand the divinity in what's happening so there are different ways to understand this as human beings we have done many things to the planet to the beings to the uh, nature itself and the result is coming back to us from whatever i know little bit the virus has originated because from the bats and the human interaction etc and so it has jumped from the bats into the humans and now it has come in or some people have a conspiracy theory it has been made in a lab and you know spread around or whatever that may be either way if you see it is human being who has not acted out of clarity objectivity you know keeping the bigger picture and one is as a result facing the consequences of it mm-hmm. unfortunately it the impact of it is on so many people and so many beings and people are suffering many have passed on also from here but when we look at it in the big picture of karma it will be that only those people who had to be affected because of their karmic consequences they would be affected and so it is a part it is a part of their uh, process of evolution if one looks at it as a negative aspect and one becomes very pessimistic or uh, you know one loses hope one becomes more scared then one is not using one's present free will positively there may be fear there may be insecurity there may be a certain sorrow also but we have to move on seeing the positives because this has also brought many positives with it mm-hmm. many lessons we have to learn out of it so when we say kathoraha the lord appears kathoraha if we focus on the negative aspect but if we shift our attention then even in that uh, difficult time there is compassion there is love there is kindness like a bitter medicine that has to be given a human being had to be taught a lesson and the lord has taught now whether we learn it or not it is again up to us because we have free will like if i have to give you one example in our country in india when there was this 21 day lockdown strict lockdown that was imposed in march this year everything was shut in just 21 days the entire ganges the water became drinkable it is such a holy river in our culture 
but the amount of pollution that is being generated the industrial pollutants and vehicular emissions and so many things are getting into that river that that river is there is so many billions of dollars being spent to clean the ganga but efforts are not enough to stop the pollutants from getting in now in those 21 days nature revived herself so beautifully mm. and we had to learn our lesson that you know we don't nature does not need us nature will go on without us but yeah. we will not go on without nature now these hard lessons we have to learn so sometimes yes these things do happen but it is up to us you know like that english saying goes he is only cruel to be kind so god is cruel to be kind in that context mm. 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 that's beautiful so i want to circle back to what you said about karma because i know that there are going to be some listeners who feel a little challenged by that um because i'm sure as you know a lot of people in the west don't believe in karma and um and so when when someone when people hear things like oh well someone who died of the virus died because that was in their karmic cards or whatever they might people then interpret that as meaning something like well then i can look and if i don't die then i can see oh well i'm better than that person because i didn't get affected by the virus like they did and really well that's just because they had it coming you know so it leads to this i'm better than them sort of mentality which i don't think is what the teaching is truly about so can you talk a little bit more about how to understand that without slipping into that way of thinking yes so yes it is to what you said that possibility is there and many people do misunderstand karma to uh, feel that kind of a uh, you know superiority over the other but karma is very simple what we call karma is actually nothing but law of cause and effect that's all it is every single effect in this world has a cause even science will believe that like newton's third law says every action will have an equal and opposite reaction so cause and effect is what is karma action is the cause result is the effect so when we understand it it is not to judge somebody as greater or somebody as lesser it is to take responsibility of our life actually it is not meant for judging others the purpose of karma is that no matter what i have been yesterday yesterday today i have a free will because karma brings that free will and only human being has that free will that in this present moment i can choose how do i want to respond life may throw anything at me i can choose how to how do i respond in what life brings if i say that it is coming randomly then the mind does not have anything to ground then the mind feels then why should i even act responsibly because anything is coming anyhow so karma helps us to ground properly because it's a fact it's not a theory that is cooked up why is it that some people are rich some people are poor some people are specially challenged some people are specially talented if you see the inequality in the world it is a result of the choices that people have made sometimes we do it out of ignorance sometimes we do it out of knowledge so karma is only to take responsibility that what i am facing today is a result of my own past actions how i behave today will determine my future so it is actually to take responsibility saying that oh now that i understood that every action has a consequence i have to face my actions face my consequences so might as well take responsibility and act more uh, in line with the universal principles 
which is what we call as dharma so karma actually helps us to come in tune with dharma with what is my duty what is righteousness what should i not be doing how do i ensure that i follow values so karma actually helps me to bring all this into my life and make my life more powerful more deeper and it makes me actually more compassionate mm. so if i see somebody suffering i don't say that oh it's their karma let them suffer no if they are suffering today there is a free will in my life that i can go and help them so if i understand karma well it will make me more compassionate mm. because free will is there with me when i see somebody suffering if my child is suffering would i say it is karma let the child suffer no i would say no no it's my child i would go and help because there is a sense of identification now same thing we apply to everyone saying we all are one family vasudhaiva kutumbakam means the whole universe is one family so wherever i see any sorrow suffering i go out and as much as i can help let me help so i don't feel that if somebody is uh, going through some challenging time it is that they are negative and they are lower and because i did not face the virus then i am greater that is a as you said it is a it's a wrong interpretation mm-hmm. it should make me more compassionate more uh, accepting that sometimes something's happened to me that are not uh, as per my desire then i say it is karma some karma i must have done that result i got now so it is to make me more accepting take more responsibility become more compassionate uh, go out and do what best one can do that's the main objective of karma mm. Wow, that was an excellent explanation. I think people are going to get a lot out of that. Um, well, Swamiji, this has been such a fascinating conversation, and we've we've actually covered a lot of ground in such a short amount of time. Um, I was wondering, as we come to a close, if there's anything that you want to share, you know, from the perspective of the teachings that might be helpful right now. I mean, you know, as you know, the the world is seemingly in turmoil, um, at least. uh people are feeling increasingly agitated both uh, you know on a political level and and also emotionally and health-wise from the pandemic as we were talking about you know what are some some sort of teachings or some takeaways that you would offer to our listeners that might help them um uh navigate this difficult time so first i would say is that we what we say in our culture is yoga is to integrate our personality body mind intellect must come to because when these don't come together then we are not strong enough to face life and its difficult circumstances uh, with strength then that is where we uh, collapse so body mind intellect how do we align so generally i give a formula called t20 because you know in india this t20 cricket is very popular <laughs> 20 overs cricket they play um so t20 means 3 times 20 20 minutes of exercise 20 minutes of meditation 20 minutes of spiritual study mm. if we are able to do this that every day spend 20 minutes for one's own fitness because even as covid we know that the the most important aspect in that is our immunity is what is going to be Uh, helping us so exercise a very very important aspect at any age whatever age we may be whether it is yoga or running or you know gym or aerobics or zumba or anything 
ट्वेंटी मिनट्स ऑफ एक्सरसाइज एंड सिंगल पॉइंटेडली जनरली समटाइम पीपल हियर म्यूजिक और दे आर कॉन्वर्सिंग और कैजुअली डूइंग एज मच वी कैन डू विथ अटेंशन दैट मच बेटर सेकेंड मेडिटेशन एनी स्पिरिचुअल प्रैक्टिस विच मेक्स द माइंड क्वाइट which anchors my emotion because in spirituality it is not more about information and knowledge it is about anchoring the mind and that is why the form or any other practice where the emotions get channelized where i feel grounded i feel sense of security in my heart a sense of strength in my heart whatever support may be it may be a form it may be a sound it may be chakra it may be you know maybe certain aspects from bible or anything which helps me to become strong and secure and i can meditate on that and remove all other thoughts from the mind so 15 20 minutes of that practice of quieting the mind and 20 minutes of study any spiritual study or self help books where i gain a better understanding of myself and a better understanding of the universe around me and of a divine creator what we call jiva jagat ishwara if we understand these three properly then there is a lot of strength and clarity in our mind which helps us to face the challenges so first point is as an individual i should learn to integrate every day just spend one hour to do this if it is not possible on a daily basis balance it over a week maybe 3 days a week i do meditation 4 days a week i do study 5 days a week i do exercise make a balance so that is the first and most important aspect that one should focus on second aspect is there are challenging circumstances there is no doubt but it is also a matter of one's perspective which one can train oneself mm mm-hmm. so consciously i need to train myself to see the positive first and to see the positive i must ensure that my mind is filled with positive thoughts so the inputs that i take in i must filter because today there is lot of information available on social media and as you know many things are not even true there are lot of fake news also spreading around and very fast it goes around and the mind gets very disturbed so we should know what to filter and what to allow in and what to reject so if we ensure that we take in the positive inputs even those things which are disturbing we take in after a certain amount of you know quieting of the mind or taking in of the positive then we are in a better situation to face the negative so this filtering is very very important positive approach positive uh, inputs and positive company these th- these things would help to face these situations uh, in a much more stronger way and much more one would feel that uh, i am in at least some control of my day my life things around i may not be able to control but my responses i can definitely control so if each one starts doing this the world would definitely be able to handle it in a much better way yeah That's such fantastic advice and so practical. I love the what did you call it the 320s? T20. 320. Yeah, it's amazing. T20, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's so great. I mean, and it only it's you know, it's only an hour every day and um and should be, you know, integratable for many people. That's beautiful. And I, 
you know, I completely hear you and appreciate you saying the thing about filtering the information, especially when so much kind of negative and false information, as you were saying, is, is coming in. All right. Well, so as we close, um, uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity to share maybe where people can find you, Swamiji. I know that, um, you know, I've, of course, listened to many of your episodes that is now a podcast. You can download it. Let's see if I can on the fly come up with the information here. The If you search for Chinmaya Shivam, Shivam, Shivam yeah. so C-H-I-N-M-A-Y-A, uh, second word, Shivam, S-H-I-V-A-M, then you'll be able to find Swamiji's uh, podcast, which there are many, many, many episodes. Um, well, right now, I believe you're at 52, but I think there's actually more than that. Um, but many, lots of them. Yeah, lots of them. Lots of opportunities to dive deep. And, and as everyone who's listening can tell, uh, Swamiji has a lot to share. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners, Swamiji? I wish everyone all the best in facing the rest of the year and the new year that is coming up. I really wish that it is really new for us in terms of our perspective, in terms of the experiences that we have and new possibilities and uh, new ways by which we can explore our inner potentials and make a difference to the world in a very, very positive way. Uh, let that be a really new world that we create when this pandemic ends it should be a new birth like we say that every birth there is a pain involved but there is a joy at the end of that pain when a child is born there is a pain for the mother and the child but at the end of it there is a lot of joy that a new life has come into being same way the world has gone through a lot and many people would feel that this year 2020 should have not existed <laughs> But for whatever reasons, it has brought so many challenges to us. I pray to the Supreme that uh, may we have a much more positive, purifying, elevating, inspiring new year. And let us build up towards that from now. So every moment, let us live life with positivity and newness. Moment by moment, we live life. That helps us to live life day by day and the whole life is lived. If we take care of the moment, whole life is taken care of. Mm. Mm. That's such excellent advice. Yes, I am, I'm hoping also for a, a better 2021. Uh, I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've been speaking to Swami Swatmananda, who's an Acharya of the Chinmaya Mission in South Mumbai, India. Swamiji, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jacob. It was nice to have you here. And interact with all of you and I wish all the best to you and all the listeners. Thank you.